Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Bray. Something Positive for Positive People is a podcast featuring the experiences of people who have at some point faced a life challenge. They've navigated through that and they are sharing their life experiences to help you also be able to persevere through your own. Today I'm here with Dr. Lacey Chittle. So it's like little, but Chittle. All right. And you are a functional medicine specialist. What is that? Some people, they come to me with an actual diagnosis. So it might be that they have, say, thyroid disease or they have IBS, troubles with their digestion and stuff like that. And some people, they just don't feel well. And their doctors have said, well, we've done everything we can. It doesn't look like there's anything wrong with you, but they still feel terrible. So I do a very extensive background check to go from the point that they were potentially in their mommy's belly to where they are today and figure out where exactly did things start to come apart. And if there's something going on that we can actually address that is going to help them resolve their symptoms. So do you mm-hmm. look at the symptoms and decide we're not going to give you a pill that resolves these symptoms? We're looking deeper into that, like in making lifestyle changes and things like that? Yes, it does involve lifestyle changes. Always, 100% of the time. But I'm also looking at similar tests that any other doctor may look at, like your blood tests, and then some additional testing to look at the function of your organs, how your body is assimilating the foods that you're eating, if there's any deficiencies, any bacterial, viral, fungal infections of that sort that are showing up that were just kind of stealth that nobody was actually looking for. So uh, I do use testing to kind of direct the treatment. A lot of the stuff is dietary, then it's also lifestyle stuff. So sometimes it means part of the prescription is to sleep more and to exercise less or differently than you were previously. Then also supplementation to correct any deficiencies. So for some people, changing your diet, that helps a lot with some symptoms. But for some people, there's actually some pretty significant deficiencies in amino acids, which come from protein, vitamins and minerals that come from the foods that you eat, and that just changing your diet is not going to get you out of that hole that you've been dug into. So you need to actually take extras in order to get you out. Okay. How do people normally get into contact with you? Like, how do they find what it is that you're offering? Yeah, I have a virtual practice. It's becoming a little bit more popular than it was um, almost five years ago when I started. So I did this training through the Institute for Functional Medicine. So they have a website themselves. It's called ifm.org. And you can type in there your address and find people that are near you who can help you with your condition. But you can also just search, you know, on Yelp for functional medicine practitioners. Mm -hmm. And that might be helpful. The Institute for Functional Medicine is like the world's leader in the education for functional medicine. So it's potentially more extensive education than if you just find somebody who's just claiming that they practice functional medicine. Do people find you after everything else doesn't work or do they come straight to you? How does it how does it work? So yeah, one of the ways people find me is from their physicians that refer on to me. But then other people, yes, it's after they've tried everything and it didn't work. Um, And that's, for me, that's how I came to this work myself was I was looking for an answer to why I was not feeling better and why they couldn't figure out why my immune system couldn't get strong again after having fallen ill myself. 
then I found out that there was a name for what I was already trying to do for myself, which was you know, correct the imbalances that were going on in, in my body. And um, it was actually my sister-in-law who was about to go to naturopathy school who was like, hey, Lacey, there's actually a name for this. It's called functional medicine. You should check this out. It sounds right up your alley. The vast majority of people who I work with are people who their symptoms haven't been remedied by the conventional approach. You know, a lot of people who are referred to me are people who for instance, we're seeing rheumatologists, so I do see a lot of autoimmune disease. Uh, I think that's one of the things that we'll actually probably end up talking about today, you know, since we're talking about herpes, is that there's eight different strains of herpes, and that, that can be a trigger for autoimmunity. That's one of the things that people come to me with is a diagnosis of autoimmunity of some sort. Are you connected to an herbalist at all? Is there any overlap or connection to what an herbalist does? Yeah, so the things that I use for treatment, some of them are herbs. There are a lot of herbs that are useful for viral infections. So that will be one of the things that we can talk about is um, alternative treatments to using antivirals uh, okay. that are more natural. So using herbs. Besides using herbs, I do use all the things that your body makes itself. So that's what I was talking about. Like, you know, I'll do these nutritional tests sometimes and find that people don't have adequate amounts of, say, lysine, which is necessary to keep herpes in check. We produce lysine? Oh, so you eat protein. When you break down protein, it's in the form of amino acids. And the amino acids are what your body uses to build itself back up. So for instance, tissue healing, you need all of these amino acids for tissue healing. And then there's other amino acids that you need for neurotransmitters. So for your brain to make happy hormones like serotonin. So there's uh, different ones for that as well. Well, since you already opened up the door, let's get into it. How, like, what are some of these alternative treatments for the herpes virus? We know about valcyclovir, acyclovir. We've got suppressive medications and then the medication that we're given in the event that we have an outbreak. What are some other options that you can present us with? So there's a couple different routes to go. So some people, they do well with just adding in some extra amino acid lysine. So they can keep the herpes virus under tabs by just adding in this additional amino acid. So sometimes when you have recurrent bouts, when you keep on having outbreaks again and again, it's because your body doesn't have enough of this amino acid to allow for the tissue to heal and to keep it in uh, remission. So taking lysine is one of those things that can be helpful. When people have tried it, sometimes I find out that it was just that they were taking an inadequate dose. Um, so dose is really important for everything from a prescription or for a natural supplement. Dose is very important. A lot of people may need upwards of three grams a day of lysine. So you dose one gram three times a day. For some people, they need upwards of that much. So when someone has tried that before and it hasn't worked, sometimes I go back and say, well, how much did you try? For how many months were you on it? Well, let's try potentially moving up your dosing. So it is helpful to have a practitioner that you're working with to help you figure out what's going to be adequate for you. And then there's um, two other things that you can use that are more from a uh, antiviral standpoint besides lysine is Lometrium. So Lometrium is an herb. It's antimicrobial herb. So it works on viruses. It works on bacteria. So it can be used for anything from like a common cold. And some people may notice when they have herpes outbreaks is that they, other things have been going on too. So maybe they had a sore throat, maybe they were extra stressed out. Then after they had their cold, what's the next thing that happens? They get an outbreak, right? 
So lamatrium can be used on that first hint of a cold, and then lo and behold, you know, they took a small dose of lamatrium to help prevent the cold, and also, guess what, after taking it, they didn't have a herpes outbreak for the first time. But you can also use the lamatrium as a suppressive dose, so you can use that. So for a lot of people, they have to work up to the appropriate dose and it takes a couple months of treatment to get there. Part of that is because the lomatrium can cause a die-off reaction. What's a die-off um, reaction? So die-off reaction is when you kind of feel like you are sick. <laughs> so you, you might get cold and flu-like symptoms, you might feel achy, you might feel tired. You can get it's called a viral exanthem, which is a rash. This is really common in kiddos, you know, like kids will get a virus and they may have a, you know, a drippy nose or a stuffy nose and stuff like that, um, but no other real symptoms. And then a week later, they get a rash. Well, this can happen in adults when they have the die-off from the herpes. So if you're dosing yourself with the lomatrium, sometimes you can have a die-off reaction and get this terribly itchy rash. It can be only on one part of your skin or it can cover you from head to toe. So again, this is why it's really important to work with a specialist who knows what they're doing in, in dosing this so that you can avoid that. And so sometimes you pair it with binding agents, help support the liver with liver supportive supplements as well. Um, start at a very small dose and you start that small dose for a couple of days, upwards of a couple of weeks, depending on the individual and how their body responds to it. Some people have terrible tummy upset, they might get diarrhea. So you want to try and avoid all that by getting just the right dose and working your way up to that higher dose. Eventually you can get everybody's under control this way. And then the other one that I, I use with people is monolaurin. So monolaurin works as an antiviral. What it is, is it's actually an extract from coconut. It's an acid from coconut. It's also in breast milk, and it's what boosts babies' immunity. Babies are born without a really good functioning immune system. Part of how they get their immune system is from their mommies and from the breast milk, right? So one of the things that's in the breast milk is monolaurin. It also happens to be in coconut, and they extract this out of coconut, and they put it into little pellets or into a capsule, and then you can take that as an antiviral as well to help treat um, the herpes and keep it under or tabs too. So no one needs to just go and buy a shit ton of these two products that... <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Right. Um, it really, so these are very helpful things, um, and sometimes people even use them in conjunction with their antiviral therapy from their doctor. For instance, I oftentimes use lysine along with somebody who's already on valacyclovir, who's having uh, outbreaks. But I would always say, talk to your doctor before you start one of these. Um, all right. You know, yeah. Start all by yourself. And then with these medications, these treatment options, I want to be sure that we put something in the show notes that gives people like the correct spelling so that we're not like oh, a sure. letter off yeah. and getting something that is completely different. We want to definitely consult with a physician or a medical professional prior to taking action for ourselves. What questions would they go to someone like you or their physician with? Would they just go to them and say, hey... I don't want to take pills, or do yeah, they I'd like say... Yeah, i something more natural. I've heard about okay. this. What do you think? Everybody has access to Google now, so there are studies comparing these, mm -hmm. you know, the treatments. Um, so they can 
print out these studies and say, hey, I read this study that it's equally as effective, yada, yada. Do you think I can give this a try? So some physicians will be more open to it. Other ones won't. Um, and that's why potentially it can be helpful to see someone who's a naturopathic doctor, a doctor of osteopathy. You can see a you know, holistic practitioner, an herbalist. Um, this sort of thing, who can help you navigate those waters too. And then the other thing that I would say is, you know, don't just stop if you are on oral medication, prescription medication, is don't just stop cold mm -hmm. turkey before you start this to discuss that with your prescribing physician. Yeah. But the other thing I'd like to just add, because we're talking about treatments just for herpes, but the truth of the matter is, is that this is all about your immune system function. So it's all about why is it that my body can't keep this virus in check because the truth of the matter is is by the time we're 25 years old at least in this country over 90 percent of people have been exposed to herpes type 1 or type 2 mm -hmm. so i don't know if everybody recognizes that but if we tested any adult in america's blood for these antibodies to type 1 or type 2 herpes over 90 percent of people have been exposed but 90% of people are not expressing it, right? So they're not having outbreaks. Depending on who you are, that, that could be only between 20 and 40% of the population are expressing type 1 or type 2. But that's still a huge percentage of the population. So that was actually part of the thing that got me really excited to be able to talk with you is because I don't know that everybody gets that. And there's this huge stigma, you know, associated with having herpes. And yet here, the thing is, is we've all been exposed to it. Almost all of us. And by the time you're over 55 years old, it's almost 100%. So what's the difference between the people who are expressing it, who are having outbreaks, and the people who aren't? Immune system. It's your immune system. Yes. Right. So that gets us you know, to the next piece of the conversation, which is like, well, what are the things that would make me express it versus someone else not expressing it, right? Mm -hmm. And this is true of all the different types of herpes. So there's eight different types of herpes, right? The type 1 and type 2 are referring to the ones that you find on the mouth or in the genitalia. But then there's another six. Type 3 is the kind that I had, and a lot of people have had. If you had chicken pox as a child, it coming back or it revisited is called the shingles. That's the kind that I had. Type 4 is mono, so that's the Epstein-Barr virus. Again, these two types, types 3 and type 4, again, it's like 90% of the population has been exposed by the time they're adults. But what's the difference between the people who wind up going on to have the shingles and people who end up having chronic mono, so like they're chronically fatigued or they keep on having the expression of this? It's the immune system. So the immune system and whether or not we're able to keep it under tabs. So let me explain the things that affect the immune system the most that we do on a daily basis. It's things like sleep. Are you getting enough sleep? If you're getting less than seven and a half hours of sleep, that can be considered stress to your body. Everybody knows, especially with type 1 and type 2 herpes, is that if you have excessive stress in your life, it can then cause an outbreak. So stress can be anything. It can be emotional. It can be psychological. It can be physical. And so some of the things that can suppress our immune system are things like not getting enough sleep. The other thing that we do on a daily basis, multiple times a day, that can stress out our immune system is what we eat. So our diet. If you're eating lots of inflammatory foods, so processed foods, wheat, dairy, sugar, 
anything that has a product in it that you cannot pronounce the name of, and so it's chemically created, that is something that your immune system is going to have to identify and work on and say, is this okay or is this not okay? So every single bite of food that you put in your mouth, your immune system has to interact with and decide whether or not it can do something with it. So it's not too uncommon amongst people that I work with that they have digestive problems Mm -hmm. or that they have a known food sensitivity or allergy. That's something that develops after your immune system has stopped being really good at being able to function on the highest level. That's another big contributor. The other one that we deal with on a pretty regular basis is stress from modern society. So, you know, filling your plate with too many things to do, which is something that I definitely have struggled with on multiple occasions over the course of my lifetime. That's why we got this podcast scheduled like three months ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, that's, I mean, that's what led me to developing the shingles when I was 27 years old. When I got diagnosed with the shingles, I got tested for HIV, I think, four times because everyone looked at me and was like, what else could this be? You're way too healthy to be having the shingles right now. And I was working out like, crazy. I was a personal fitness trainer. I was finishing my doctorate and then I worked out a couple times a day. Like it was not atypical for me to spend an hour doing cardio every single day of the week and lifting weights at least four days a week. You know, so two hours a day in the gym every day and not just for a couple of years like that since I was in high school until I was 27. Got married, had to sit for a licensure, and that's when I started getting ill was when all those stressors had been alleviated. That's when my body said, oh, okay, we give up. (laughs) And it just so happened to be that so um, statistically, like if you had the chicken pox as a child, your immunity, if it was a mild strain of the chicken pox, is going to fade in about 20 years. So it was exactly 20 years when I wound up getting the shingles, that immunity was starting to wane, and then you can have a recurrence of that virus. Stress is stress is stress to the body. It doesn't matter. Your body will respond in the exact same way to stress by suppressing the immune system, by making more cortisol. As a result of that, it can become difficult for the body to keep viruses or bacteria, things that we should be able to live in harmony with, under tabs. And so then they'll express themselves. Things that you can do to manage the stress is get enough sleep. That's like number one on my list whenever I'm working with somebody who has chronic viral infection is making sure that they are getting adequate sleep. And if they are not able to sleep through the night, figuring out why and addressing that sleep disturbance. So if they're having difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, waking up too early, there's a reason for that. Could be blood sugar, could be due to dysfunction of their adrenal glands and that sort of thing but we figure it out and we address it okay Um, question yes when we put ourselves under constant stress are we conditioning ourselves to be able to tolerate more stress to a point where if we just stop being as stressed as we were our immune system's like oh we don't have to work as hard anymore and then bam we can have a virus express itself and here's an example i think a better way for me to explain this would be for me i don't know 
exactly when I was exposed to herpes because everyone I've asked about it said they didn't have it. I was out of college, 23, 24 years old. I had just stopped playing sports. I had moved back in with my grandmother after college and she was cooking like all the foods that were inflammatory, not anti-inflammatory, but like we were (laughs) eating things that I had no business eating, a lot of fried food. And I think that around that time, because it wasn't too long after I graduated, was when I experienced my first outbreak. And I had been tested before for herpes while I was in college because something didn't look right. And when I got my results back, there was a presence of antibodies, but not enough for me to have tested positive. So I'm wondering if my immune system had just decided, oh, we don't need to run around and chase people and hit people and get hit and work out every day. We're not doing that anymore. So we can just chillax and then bam, outbreak. It arose. Exactly. Right. So who knows? You may have been somebody who had herpes since you were a baby. We don't know. Like, it's possible. If your mom had it, then it's possible that you got it from your mama. It's entirely possible. But your immune system was keeping it under wraps, you mm-hmm. know, and it wasn't expressing itself. It's entirely possible. You know, there's there's lots of people who don't even know that a cold sore, you know, on their lip is herpes. Like, right. it's, it's entirely, um, uh, you know, it's it's very amazing to me that, you know, so many people don't even recognize that, that, that they know what it is or that how they got it. And the chances are is that they just always had it you know that you know from their parents or whatever else and for those who don't know is that um hsv1 and 2 they can be found in both places just because you have genital herpes doesn't mean that you can't have it on your lip or if you have oral herpes doesn't mean that you can't have it in your genitalia so those two can be found either place and by the way they can also be found in other locations like on your on your chest or on your back on your butt cheek on your ankle on your your elbow my dog in the background there yeah so it's entirely possible that your immune system was just strong enough for that many years and then at some point you know like you said you just kind of uh, all the stressors were finally relieved and then there was something else like a poor diet that allowed your body to say we can't deal with this anymore this is too much for us so we're going to express this but then there may be a period of time like people will go years again where they have no outbreak what was going on during that time maybe life was just all hunky-dory job was good life with the partner was good everything was going well and then there was a family illness and then they have an outbreak or they get a cold or their boss at work is really an ass yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's when they keep on getting outbreaks so stress is stress is stress to the body and your body can only handle it for so long Other things is that sometimes there are nutrient deficiencies. So your immune system needs lots of things in order for it to function optimally. One of the ones that is most commonly low in people is just not having enough vitamin D. There was a study not too long ago that came out that associated all-cause mortality can be decreased with having an adequate vitamin D level. And we (laughs) produce it by getting sunlight, right? You can, but actually the more melanin you have in your skin, so being a black man yourself, you're more likely to be deficient than someone else because you can't absorb as much. All right, we're going to take this podcast outside, all right? You ready? (laughs) (laughs) And take off all your clothes. (laughs) Right? Yeah, it also has to do with surface area, Mm -hmm. you know? So 
the darker skin that you have, the less vitamin D you're going to absorb through your skin. But then it isn't just about absorption through your skin. There are food sources of vitamin D. So mushrooms are one great source of vitamin D. Then also organ meats and things like that can be a good source of vitamin D. But people don't necessarily eat those things. So just about everybody who I work with needs to be on a vitamin D supplement to get their levels up at an adequate level. Now what's adequate? So the lab that you go to and you have your primary care physician on your annual physical do a vitamin D level, it might come back and it says that you have a 30, okay, and that the 30 is okay by this lab standard. Well, the lab standards are just created by whoever has gone and had that test done there in the last 365 days, and they take two standard deviations so that Everybody within that two standard deviations of the mean is going to be considered okay. But that doesn't mean anything in terms of your body's function. So again, I'm a functional medicine practitioner. I'm looking for the functional range. I'm looking for the optimal range in which your body is going to work the best. Okay, and if you have a chronic infection like herpes, if you have an autoimmune disease, say lupus or Hashimoto's or anything else, you need to have a vitamin D level that is much higher. And by much higher, I mean minimally 60. So if you have 30 and your doctor says, oh, you're fine, you have 30, it's not. It may be exactly the only reason why you can't keep your body from having these outbreaks. So you really need to get your level up. Minimally 60, um, I usually have a target of 75 to 100 for most of my patients who have chronic infections, who are chronically ill, have chronic fatigue, have any sort of chronic medical issues. That's number one in terms of getting your immune system functioning supplement-wise. The other thing is the uh, food sources, obviously, is to eat those food sources too. For a lot of people, supplementation is is really, really critical for getting their um, immune system up and working well. Got it. Now, is there a certain amount of stress that we want to keep ourselves exposed to in order to keep our immune system ready? We scheduled um, this one months ago, so you've been stressing about <laughs> so this this whole time? Yeah. So had I been in that old state of mental health where I would allow myself to get that worked up about it and have all those symptoms of anxiety about it, so where I have the pressure in my chest, where I feel like I can't take a deep breath, where it affects my sleep, where, you know, all of those sort of things, feeling more short-tempered, you know, things like that. If I allowed myself to feel that way about it, for several months, of course, that's going to suppress my immune system and potentially affect my body's ability to stay healthy. But I've learned techniques to let that go or to table it. That's where then it can be helpful to learn techniques to help you manage your stress. So for some people, it's things like meditation. For some people, it's talking to a friend or family member or to a therapist about it. For some people, it's journaling. For some people, it's yoga. Other people, they like running. 
but the key is that your body is able to turn it off. So that stress response is accompanied by hormones such as cortisol. And cortisol has this effect on the immune system to suppress it a bit. Cortisol is good. We need cortisol in order to just get through the day. Our cortisol level should increase as soon as we wake up and then be relatively level throughout the day and then come down at night so that we can sleep. But if you are getting really stressed out while you're driving to and from work because there's traffic, now you're going to bump your cortisol up again. And it might come down a little bit. And then you're at work and then you have a deadline and you're stressed out about it. And your cortisol bumps up again a little bit while you're at work. Or maybe for that whole eight-hour period of time, 10-hour period of time that you're at work, it's elevated above baseline your body can do that for so long and it will come back to normal it'll come back to that baseline where it's supposed to be but over time what happens is that your body says i cannot keep on producing this amount of cortisol and so it will start dwindling and you might have a little bit of a bump in cortisol um, you know, but as time goes on, is that it'll go lower and lower. And then that also accompanies how well your immune system is functioning, and it won't necessarily bump up appropriately when presented by a virus or when presented by a food that it doesn't know how to digest. And mm-hmm. so now you have developed a food sensitivity, or now you have developed a cold or a flu or an infection here or there. I like what you're saying because it's talking about what I believe to be closer to the source of an issue rather than just a symptom. So we're not talking about how to treat an outbreak. We're talking about how to make the immune system strong enough to where it can keep not only HSV at bay and suppressed, but we're also talking about things that are going to keep you healthy overall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's what it's all really about. And that's pretty much, you know, the premise of you know, yeah. my work in general. People might come to me for they have chronic herpes out. It's a woman um, who I was working with who she had monthly outbreaks for over 30 years. Now, doesn't that come with a menstrual cycle? It can, but she's postmenopausal, but she did have it with her menstrual cycle. And so that can be at play for some people that there are hormonal fluctuations. And then so now you know in that individual that there's more to it for their virus having an outbreak is that they're also having issues with their hormonal balance. So a key for that person may very well be is getting their body's ability to detoxify and clear these hormonal metabolites to be better at doing that. So for all those women out there who see that pattern, that's an indication that there is a hormonal imbalance, a sex hormonal imbalance that needs to be dealt with in order to get the herpes outbreaks under control. That doesn't mean going on the birth control pill, by the way. (laughs) I thought that was the solution to everything. I've heard from past partners that were on birth control that it helped balance their hormones as well. It suppresses them. So it doesn't actually improve your body's ability to clear hormone metabolites. Your body clears hormone metabolites via your liver. Okay, your liver cleans your blood. And then when your liver is well paired with your gallbladder, meaning that when it excretes its toxins with your bile into your intestines, is that if things are all going well, then you will have a bowel movement and you will excrete out any toxins that were in your blood. But some people have a genetic predisposition to not doing this well, and other people have problems with their digestive tracts. That is the reason why that's not working well. 
Other people have gallstones or have had their gallbladder removed, and that's why that's not working well. So there's usually a lot more to it than just like, here, take this other pill and everything's going to be better. Because what will happen when the person goes off of the birth control pill? Because she wants to get pregnant or whatever else. She's going to have a hard time getting pregnant. Herpes is going to flare and it'll flare because she's not on birth control. And then guess what? She gets pregnant. Yay, she got pregnant. But now she has chronic herpes flares because of uh, her immune system being suppressed because she's growing a baby. Mm. <laughs> so it behooves you to figure out what was causing it in the first place, you know, why you were having this hormonal imbalance in the first place, and then actually addressing the detoxification issue or the hormone production issue that was causing it and fixing that. So there's other things that could be causing it, like if your thyroid is not functioning well, that can affect your sex hormone production. If you have an adrenal dysfunction, so you're having problems with making enough cortisol or too much cortisol, that can affect your sex hormone production. If you have blood sugar handling imbalance, so say you have too much sugar in your blood, so that's prediabetes or diabetes, well, 10 years before you even have prediabetes, you can have imbalances in your blood sugar levels when you eat something. So when your blood sugar goes up, it causes cortisol production. When your blood sugar comes back down, it can cause your body to produce more cortisol to say, hey, go eat something because we think that we're going to starve. That can then affect your sex hormone production if you have that going on all day long, day in and day out, where you feel hangry. If, you get, if you're somebody who feels hangry often or gets shaky or lightheaded in between meals, that's a blood sugar handling imbalance. And that will affect your cortisol. And that will affect your sex hormone production, even in men. The word balance comes up a lot throughout this conversation. It has come uh, up. Yeah. And... You mentioned something earlier about managing stress and how you respond to it. From your personal experience, having to have this balance and come into the realization of, all right, how I perceive this stress and how I manage this stress is going to help me. Because as someone who is living with a form of the herpes virus, this is something that's important to you in your everyday life as well, right? Oh, it's absolutely critical. Absolutely critical for me. Um, before we started talking, you actually, one of the questions that you asked me was, what was the hardest thing that you have overcome? And it's this, it, it was falling ill myself. So I'll give like a little short synopsis of maybe of like what it all, like what everything happened to me and how this was a big shift in my entire life. Like I hinted at previously, you know, I was somebody who's just super type A, like triple type A personality since I was a child, just filling my plate with too many things, you know? So like when I was an undergrad, it wasn't that I was going to do one degree. I was going to do two degrees in four years. And while I do those two degrees, I'm also going to work as a personal fitness trainer and work at a physical therapy clinic. So it was always like, do, 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 so that I can get to the next thing. I had these goals in mind. So suffer now because it's going to pay off in the future, right? But I did that for a very long period of time while also being quite athletic, you know. So I was somebody who ran 50 miles a week. And I didn't do this seasonally. I did this year in, year out, running excessive amount of mileage every week um, and lifting weights and being this picture of health or what I thought was a picture of health, limiting my caloric intake to maintain a certain weight. And back then, um, of a different generation, being 36 years old, I lived in the time where it was eating low fat was the thing. So low calorie, low fat, and that I'm sure really affected my function as well. You know, my brain function while I was in school. Then uh, I went off to do my doctorate. 
And I continued the same sort of path of overdoing it, so to speak, for a number of years there and there as well. Then I finished my degree. I got married. I was renovating my condo in Washington, D.C. I was moving, getting my licensure to practice and all this sort of stuff. And the very first thing that happened to me was I got my very first urinary tract infection. And I didn't think much of it at the time. I took a course of antibiotics. They didn't work. I got a tendinopathy, which is like uh, inflammation around your tendon. They switched me to a different antibiotic. That antibiotic worked, but I was left feeling really bad. I had chronic fatigue. I was tired all the time. I was sleeping all the time. I had lots of gastrointestinal symptoms, so fluctuating constipation and diarrhea. I had headaches that were unexplained. A handful of months later, that's when I got the shingles. When I got the shingles, again, everyone was like, what's going on with your immune system? It's not functioning very well here that you would get this. You're way too young to something that happens to people in their 60s, you know, and um, I got it when I was, you know, 27 years old or 28 years old. And then so uh, after that, I wound up, my my health actually um, kind of deteriorated. And I wound up getting what's called a vasculitis, vasculopathy in my eye. So I had the shingles around my left eye. And then a handful of months after that, I wound up getting inflammation around various organs and tissues. I lost partial vision in my left eye. I got inflammation around my heart, around my kidney. And this vasculitis, vasculopathy kept happening in various locations and left me not only in pain, but also with lots of other symptoms like the gastrointestinal symptoms, a terrible fatigue. I had what's called dysautonomia, problems with maintaining my blood pressure, my body temperature, uh, standing upright. not passing out. So I had lots of of different symptoms. And so I was being worked up to figure out what is this? This must be some sort of autoimmune disease. So I was checked for MS, for lupus. What happened was is that I didn't fit into any category, but I did have some little markers on one of the blood tests that suggested that my immune system was just a little lackluster. So this thing called complement, low complement levels. And so that probably is my genetic susceptibility. But the things that triggered it were things like a bacterial infection, having had a viral infection, the herpes type 3, when I was a kid, and then it re-emerging. Then what made it worse were things like being on antibiotics that really did a number on my microbiome in my belly. So my intestinal microbiome was not able to recover from that. And then I developed additional infections in my gastrointestinal tract from that, um, one called SIBO and another one called yeast overgrowth candida. And so I had those things going on as well. So my rheumatologist put me on a medication for people with autoimmune disease called Plaquenil. And I was told, even though you don't fit into a perfect category, chances are you will develop into some autoimmune disease in the next five years. One rheumatologist said, named it undifferentiated or seronegative undifferentiated connective tissue disease. <laughs> Another one said emerging lupus. It was like, here's your presumed diagnosis. This is what your future is going to be. Um, And kind of just get used to the fact that this is what life is going to be like. So I wound up becoming more stable. I went from being completely unfunctional, spending most of my days on the couch, barely being able to care for myself, needing my husband to wash my hair for me in the shower and sit in the shower. Was this depression? Was there depression in this? Um, Funny part is, is that... um, 
funny to me part is, I don't know they're necessarily funny in general, a uh, funny part to, uh, to me is that I didn't feel depressed. I mean, it w I felt very sad about the situation because here I was, somebody who had just finished my doctorate, who had gotten this amazing job working at a world-renowned facility and doing something that I loved. Now, I literally couldn't even stand, let alone work with patients. That made me sad, and I definitely cried a lot over that. In terms of other things, I still had this outlook on my relationship, like with my husband and everything, that was very positive. And every time I went to see my primary care physician, actually, he would always ask me, he's like, how are things going? And I'm like, my body sucks. <laughs> My life is good. I have excellent friends. I have an amazing husband. I still maintain like a really good outlook on things, but I mean, there were definitely times where I felt very sad and very sad about my situation. And there was some sadness there, and I did take an antidepressant for a period of time, also to try and augment the utility of another drug that I was on for chronic pain and chronic migraine and pain in my tendons and muscles and all this other stuff. But I wouldn't say that so many of my symptoms were a result of being depressed. There are actual things on the test that could be addressed. It was from being this ill that I decided I had gotten to a point where I had become more stable, but I was still not able to reclaim my life, so to speak. You know, I wasn't able to work and uh, still not able to exercise, which had been a huge passion of mine my entire life. And so uh, I wound up after an appointment with my rheumatologist, after him telling me, Lacey, you should be pleased with the amount of progress you have made. You should probably just try to start considering this as your new normal. After having a good cry about that, um, I decided, you know, I was going to stop relying on everyone else to try and fix this for me and, and do it myself. <laughs> and so that's when I started doing things like changing my diet. That's when I started looking at blood markers to see if I was deficient in any things that were preventing my immune system from recovering, like zinc and like vitamin D, for instance. And that's when I started experimenting on trying to get rid of these chronic infections that I had, like the gastrointestinal infections that I had and that sort of thing, and things to help with detoxification, like I was saying about my liver are not working perfectly well and that sort of thing as well. So that was the whole thing that brought me to this work was I was my very first patient and it by far and away has been the hardest thing that I've ever had to overcome. But along the way, what I realized, which I never would have realized when I was 27, 28 years old when I first got ill, was that stress played a humongous role in why I fell ill. And that even to this day, you know, if I don't get adequate sleep, if I don't change my mindset around the things that could be stressors, it will have an effect on how well I'm feeling. Even though now I'm somebody who can run again and I can go some nights with travel or whatever else and getting very little sleep, I can do that. But I know if I do that for too long, my body will say, I can't do this anymore. I want to leave us with something <laughs> positive. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I say often to people is that you have to get to a point where you accept where you are today, but not accept that this is necessarily going to be your future. Appreciate that you have now a plan of action to take 
in order to get yourself to a place of health and that together we do that like that's what i do with people it's that just because this is where you are today does not mean this is where you're going to be tomorrow and that's both mentally and physically like we can get there it's just creating a framework to get there what does that framework look like it's different for everybody what are the things that for you are are, are meaningful to you for me having some of the focus be not on <laughs> my illness, right? It was really important that I had other things that gave me joy. So I couldn't run. I couldn't work as a physical therapist or a personal trainer anymore, but there were other things that I could do. So one of the first things that I did was I took up hobbies that I used to have when I was a kid and didn't have time for anymore um, that gave me joy. So finding something that gives you joy so that you can put some energy into things that are positive rather than things that are just making you continually feel empty. Mm-hmm. That was really important for me. Then not only that, but that it also empowers you, you know, so that when you have success in one area, it helps feed into successes in others, right? And gives you confidence to move into those other areas. For me, one example of that would be the dietary stuff that I did. I was so skeptical of taking out certain food items from my diet that that would be effective. Like I had cut out wheat, for instance, and I was so against cutting out dairy from my diet. But then I looked at statistics and, you know, science always like kind of helps me make these decisions. And statistically, you know, 50% of people by the age of five have some degree of lactose intolerance. Well, shoot. 50-50 chance. Ice cream. (laughs) Mac and cheese, ice cream, grilled cheese. So, so shoot, that really stinks. And if you are of Asian or African descent, that goes up to 80 to 90%. If you have that in your back pocket of being like, okay, well, this could be a trigger for me, and I don't know what it is, then maybe I should just cut it out for a while. And then having success there, like, whoa, oh my goodness, I have less pain. Those dark circles under my eyes are gone. I have no more acne. All yeah. these things improving, having less sore throats, having less outbreaks, all those sort of things can be that motivation that you need to stick with it. So I think having little successes with making these changes, whether it's through diet, through meditation, through journaling, whatever it is, that once you start having that ball moving, so to speak, it kind of keeps you with it right yes and i can relate to so much you just said because i cut out cheese from my diet well dairy period from my diet for almost four weeks because i accidentally ate a salad and wasn't even thinking about the fact that there was cheese in it and that's what ended it and i was like whoa I made it four weeks without consuming any kind of dairy. And I felt better. Like, I noticed it in my gut. I noticed it in, you know, this may be a little much, but, like, regular bowel movements. There were so many changes. From that one change, with that, I was able to just incorporate more, more better decisions where I didn't have to eat cheese on everything. I didn't put cheese on my eggs. I didn't put cheese on my sandwich. I didn't put cheese on my burger. And it was fine. (laughs) Like there were no problems with that. And I began to also focus more on hobbies, the good stuff. Um, I recently just gotten back into yoga. I made journaling a part of my regular habits whenever I get any intense emotion be it too happy or extremely sad or anything if I'm just feeling like out of 
balance, <laughs> then I, I revisit some of those things in order to get myself back in line. So I just thought that it was very useful to add a little bit of my own personal experience on top of what it is that you're saying and how, um, you know, our linking stress to the immune system here. Because there are things that we can do and we just really have to listen to our bodies. We have to become our own first patient when we're looking at making any sort of changes. Because our bodies will tell us something wrong and our mind will try and rationalize things. Our emotions are going to be really the source of a lot of what's happening as well. So when we are able to take a step back and evaluate those things and then use the tools that we are given in order to live our best life and have things be in balance for us, then it makes living with HSV, whatever chronic conditions that we have, it makes them a little bit more easier to manage because now we know exactly what we're treating and we know that we can seek out a specialist, we can communicate things, and we're in tune with our bodies. That's right. I'd like to add one other thing, if I may. There's probably going to be somebody out there who has this thought when we just have this conversation is that taking something out or skipping out on something, you know, because there's this idea that it's going to help their immune system function better. So whether we're talking about exercising less or cutting something, food out of your diet or whatever else is that I think when you are chronically ill whether it be from herpes or something else is that there's this huge sense of loss that you have loss of identity you feel like you've given up so much or you've lost some piece of you in having this diagnosis right and that then giving up something else that means something to you feels really difficult and may even prevent you from wanting to do that and I felt that way about cheese <laughs> oh my god I was just thinking that cheese that is exactly what I was thinking as we were talking I understand and it's about prioritizing I have to be able to prioritize my health over social events at Mexican restaurants to have a big ass bucket of queso on the middle of the table you know and even with pizza like I do believe in balance and moderation so it's also that that's the other piece is that if you can just suspend the idea that it's taking something else away from you for a moment and thinking about the choice to give this a go to care for yourself in this way as being an expression of self-love then it, it turns into something that can feel like a really positive thing and it doesn't necessarily feel like such a sacrifice yeah. So think of it as I think about it this way. When you say no to one thing, you're saying yes to something else. Usually yeah. that something else is for yourself. Mm -hmm. Cool. And that that's OK. And that that's OK. Yeah. And that's just one of those things we have to learn through experience. Like, you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to do this. So, mm -hmm. Dr. Lacey, is there anything else that you want to leave us with today? it doesn't have to be this way that there is a way to feel better it's really just about finding 
the tools, finding the piece to your puzzle to get you resolution of your symptoms. I think that having been ill for a long period of time myself, that it can feel really hopeless out there when you have any chronic condition, chronic outbreaks of herpes, it can from having lots of chronic symptoms from an autoimmune disease or anything else, chronic fatigue, that you feel like it's never going to get any better. But really, you can get better. Everybody can feel better. Right. All of those supplements that you mentioned throughout the episode, if I wrote them down, I would not yeah. spell them correctly. Can yeah, we get I'll like, write them down for you. do you have it on your site anywhere? I can just link it to your um, site. I don't have okay. that anywhere, but you know, it's probably a really good idea for me to um, write up a blog post on yeah. the subject. And then we can just link directly to that blog post so that people yeah. are able to see some options that they have. How can people get in contact with you if they want to reach out and have a consultation? Because yeah. I saw your yeah, uh, I website. Do, you do... I do do free consultations for anyone worldwide who's interested. So you can always contact me through my Instagram or um, through my website directly and I'll give that information to you too. Courtney, so you can post that the, uh, show details. Awesome. Then I'm going to link to your social media platforms and the website on the show notes, but can you tell us where we can find you? Oh, sure. It's my name, drlaceychittle.com, and my handle for Instagram is dr.laceychittle, and it's L-A-C-E-Y, and then last name is Little, but with the C-H, so C-H-I-T-T-L-E. Perfect. All right, this concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. As mentioned before, we have shifted the format, so I'm interested in knowing what you think. This is more so about people being able to get engaged publicly with the podcast and seeing guests on here who are, again, just facing or navigating some form of a life challenge and having persevered through it and then sharing that bit of experience as well. More often than not, our guests are going to have an SCI, STD, but specifically the takeaways from their stories can be applied to anything if you replace the SCI with any other sort of a life challenge. Again, just let me know what you guys think. If you like this episode and you want to leave us a review, those are very, very helpful. Subscribing to the podcast as well. The more people that we're able to show, hey, this is how many people are listening, the more people we're able to show, oh, this is how many people are facing a life challenge and have dealt with it or have an STI. So this allows for others to be more supportive and open up when people come to them for support so all of those reviews all of the subscriptions all of that matters because it's added exposure and we're getting to a place where we recognize everybody knows somebody who's living with something they just don't know who it is because that person hasn't said anything to them oftentimes because they don't feel safe doing so thank you guys for listening stay positive